this morning. We start a two-part series. It's that time of year of Thanksgiving. Uh, how many of you are, are ready and you've ramped up for everything? The, the stuff's already cooking. You've already started salivating. The plane tickets have been bought. The beds, the extra beds have already been made. Well, before we get into all of the festivities, I see it as a great honor and privilege to help us get our hearts prepared, right? Get our hearts prepared for this idea of thanksgiving. And as we move into that, we're actually going to stay right in the book of Philippians. So turn there with me this morning. And the sermon title is actually a question. It's give till it hurts. Give till it hurts. And, and so, how many of you have heard that statement before? How many of you have maybe even said that statement before? And how many of you are looking at your watches saying, how fast can we get out of here? Because it's this message on money. No, it's not my message on money. It's the Lord's message about what we have to be thankful for and the whole idea of giving. This past week, I had the honor of hearing from one of our members just an incredulous story. Just an interaction that she had that was unsuspected. She was unprepared for in her own testimony. And yet, the Lord guided her through a moment of giving that as she relayed this story to me this past week. The excitement kept building and building and building. The joy, the emotion kept coming out from her. And I think more so than her being the one that was the giver, it was obvious how much she received. But as I will circle back around to this event... What you will hear is that this individual gave until it hurt. That they did not set out on their day, on their errands, to do what actually in fact happened. And the initial thought probably was one of, oh no, I can't do that. Which we've all been there, haven't we? So today when I ask this question, give till it hurts, it's not there to prompt you into some manipulation. It's not there to coerce anything. It's there to wrestle with some deep-seated questions. So let's turn to the Scripture this morning. That We're going to be in many Scriptures, but let's start with where we have been in the book of Philippians. Turn to Philippians 2, 1-4. And I've got some of it up on the screen there now. I'll go ahead and... Uh, and click over. I think it's actually, it's all actually right there. So follow along with me. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And let's stop for a moment. We'll continue on here uh, after I point out a couple things. Let me show you some emphasis. 
We've been talking about this idea of being all in. That when Paul writes this letter to the brothers and sisters in Philippi, he keeps using these modifiers that are so extreme. He keeps, he sounds like a sports enthusiast that just keeps getting a little over the top and a little bit over the top, right? Have you ever been around a person like that? It's like, okay, I get it. You know, settle down a little bit, you know? But look, here we don't even see the word all. We will later, but look at his point. And tell me if you don't see Paul speaking in an extreme sense of passion. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, what is Paul saying? That even if there's the shortest amount, the smallest scintilla of comfort or love or compassion. And he makes a conditional statement. So if there is any of that here in the church at Philippi, then what? He says, complete my joy by being what? Of the same mind. Now we're getting a little bit more into the all-in. Right? You and I cannot be of the same mind and still hold independent focus, approach, conviction, That is not the purest sense of definition of what same mind means. So Paul's saying if you even have a scintilla of comfort or love, then be of the same mind. He's emphasizing unity over and over and over. But not just the same mind. He says having the same what? The same love. And then he keeps going. He says being in partial accord being in full accord. Being in full accord. And then what? Of one mind. Then he goes on and says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But here is the key to this morning to unlocking two questions that we have. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And then he goes into a explanation of that like Paul does so well, so eloquently. Here he gives principle, right? You're seeing it? Brothers and sisters, if if there's anything in you that has this, if there's just the smallest mention, then follow that. Come together in that sense. Be fully all in, committed to that. Now, now that I've talked in such extreme measures, let me help you understand what that looks like because it's probably not fair for me just to hand you the principle, but not give you the roadmap. So what does he do? He says, have the same mind of who? Of Christ. And then he lays out how Christ chose to be all in. And let me give you the reminder as Paul laid out the reminder for those in Philippi. It says, starting in verse 6, "...who though he was in the form of God..." did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Think that was a sacrifice? Think Jesus gave till it hurt? Think about the idea of walking away from your family for a separation to take on scrutiny, persecution, 
and even death to the cross. And that's what Paul goes on here to say. He says, But made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He what? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus gave until it what? Until it hurt. So when Paul's saying, if we want to be all in as the church, the bride of Christ, we have to be of the same mind. And by the way, you've tasted it. You've had a a semblance of comfort. You've had a, a flavor of love. You've had some of this. Think about how that looked. Think about how that felt. Be thankful. Reflect on that. And then work towards all of you having that same mind, that same love, being in full accord. And if you start to lose your way, consider Him who gave until it hurts. So we've got a couple questions today. If we're talking about being all in with giving, giving happens in various ways. Here's here's just three things that I want to run by you this morning. How many men are part of our prayer chain? In any church... How many men are part of the prayer chain? Why are the men acquiescing prayer over to other people? I thought, according to Jesus Christ, we are to be the ones that are guarding over, that are are watching over, that are leading, that are providing. If we truly are men who believe in prayer, we'll be doing what? We'll be asking what needs praying for. How many of you men, when you get home, ask where are the bills? I don't. Ask Janine. I don't want to ever know where the bills are. How many of us are constantly asking questions to things that what matter to us? And yet, church upon church upon church, there are very few men that are attending prayer meetings or on prayer chains. How many of our gifted brothers and sisters are teaching and leading at CBC? This is going to be a key focus in 2020. There are many here that have been raised in this church. There are many who are new. And many. the big joke right now is that there are some that are brand new members and they already got elected to boards. And, and we've just told them that's just how it is. You know, if you're, if you're a member, you're going to do your due diligence. You've got to go to boot camp. You've got to do this around here. But there are many here that we have let other things interfere and part of my thinking on this, as, I, as I've observed, is because there's no need for you. Ouch. That hurt. Well, there's absolutely no need for you. Because as long as the same old faithful just keep doing all the teaching, we give you no room to step up. But we'll be done in about 15 years. So what a beautiful thing that we have services like U40. What a beautiful thing that we have Luke Johnson going on the elder board this coming year. What a beautiful thing that we have individuals like Stephen Gadd and Samer and others that have stepped up and have been teaching. And there's many of you you gals that have been invested in and have great teaching abilities. And so many of you have invested in teaching our children. And on and on. You're giving till it hurts. Pastor just keeps going on and on and on. Doesn't he know I'm in nursery today? It hurts. Pastor, stop giving. 
How many of our teens and children are being taught how giving prompts thankfulness? I saw a very interesting picture recently where a grandfather and a uh, grandson are sitting on a sofa with a blanket over them and they're eating breakfast together. And the caption is, Intriguing Mentorship Over the Weather Channel. And I'm thinking, that's one of your favorite pictures within your family unit? If a grandfather can invest in a grandson over the weather channel, and there be a meaningful moment there, how much more should we be putting those meaningful moments into our children, our grandchildren, our teens, by having the conversations that prompt, that cultivate thanksgiving. Amen? Amen. Have the conversation. So hopefully I've whetted your appetite. There's two main questions today. Number one is, does God expect us to give? Well, that's a great question. And we need to answer that. I think the first way that we answer that is going right to the passage we've already talked about, right? Look not only to your own interest, but look also to the interest of who? Of others. And so that just that as the preface is the foundation today. We know we've already partially answered this question, but if we're really going to do due diligence today, if I'm going to help us wrestle with this idea of giving till it hurts and how does that reflect with thankfulness, we have to ask the important questions. So today, I hope before I'm done, you have an answer to this question. Does God expect me to give? Secondly, how is giving part of our worship and exaltation to God? The giving should never be rote. It should never be routine. It should never be out of obligation. And so by the time I'm done this morning, hopefully you see what Christ's attitude is towards giving. The giving comes as an extension of love. And giving till it hurts comes as an extension of love. And so we're going to examine some unique ways that all of that works. Now I want you to be very clear that when we're talking about giving... Uh, I, I make no, uh, I'm not shy about it. I don't hide about it. Of course, this has to do with financial giving, but it has to do with giving ourselves. It has to do with giving of ourselves and just the concept and the beauty of giving and what the action of giving prompts to feed our soul and to worship God. So let's jump in it this morning. So we're going to use this idea of hurts. And I'm going to give it a little definition. So let's start with the H in hurts. Helpful. Helpful. So how do we do this? We give till it hurts. Why? Because Christ demonstrated this. I have to share with you that my my family has been very blessed by you this past month with Pastor Appreciation Month. And, you know, we've received things that as we talk about helpful and giving where it is helpful... Janine and I have different perspectives on this a little bit. And so some have given some very unique things to us, and, and some have given practical things to us, and we are just incredibly blessed. We are thankful when we reflect on the giving of love that you give to us. By the way, the fascinating part of that is that none of that is out of obligation. Janine and I actually don't even know how any of that works. It's just some, some pastor somewhere, probably 30 years ago, started a national movement called Pastor Appreciation Month. 
And so um, it is an extension of love from the congregation to their shepherd. So somebody uh, gave us a lemon meringue pie. That hurt. My waistline. After the third straight piece, it was, it was uh, I had to loosen it. I love lemon meringue pie, and so somebody gave, and they had to drive way out of their way to get this one particular pie that they know that I love, because let's just be honest, there's lemon meringue pie, and then there's lemon meringue pie. And so I really love that. I don't know how much my wife was really appreciative so much as when someone gave us a Target gift card, and I got new socks for the first time in eight years. And so she was really appreciative of that giving, and because it hurt every time she, you know, my socks. The dog even didn't like to pick up my socks anymore because they were so bad. And so there's there's the practical, there's the part, but all of it is an extension of love. Some things are more helpful than others, and so that's where we start today in breaking down this idea of giving till it hurts. When we give, are we giving so that it is helpful? Well, let's look at a passage where you see Mary and Judas and the disciples and Martha. And often this passage is connected to the argument between uh, Martha and the, the extension of service and giving through service and then the giving of adoration by Mary. And many of you know the passage and it's up in front of you. What happens is that Mary breaks this, this alabaster jar of expensive nard i just wanted to say that i love saying nard uh it, it, that's you look it up in your bible that's nard and uh and so it was very very expensive and it was not well received by the others in the room that she chose to do this the others in the room actually everybody although judas is highlighted everybody in the room if you read all the accounts of it were a little sideways and felt like this wasn't really helpful. And yet, look at, uh, look at Jesus' response, right? So the question is posed, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Do you think we have these discussions on budget committees at churches? Or when we get special gifts? Or you get something unique in your own home, and there's a little bit of discrepancy about, well, how are we going to spend this? Where is it going to be most helpful? Right? And so there's always going to be a, a focus as to where the money should go. What's interesting is, how many of us would have lined up with Judas? Maybe that was the actual plan for this. Was that we would sell this and then we would give it to the poor. Because after all, that's what we should be doing. Isn't that the true essence of who Jesus is? Whatever you did for the least of these, you've done unto me. Is Jesus making a categorical end-around switcheroo and saying, no, give to me and no longer the poor? No, He's not. But we have this initial question about worship, and this is part of it as far as answering. When we give, is it helpful? We should always think the priority of what God has blessed us with, what God has given us, how are we giving, whether it's our own giftedness, whether it's our own time, whether it's our own resources, or whether it's our own finances, what are we giving to 
And have we prayed through that? And does it have great value? How does it work in the kingdom? And this is what Jesus says. He says, he said this not because he cared about the poor. By the way, he says, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This is Judas speaking, right? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a what? A thief. Thank you very much. Canonized for all of Christendom to hear is my character trait. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself as to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her what? Alone. Wouldn't you love Jesus to intercede for you on that level? When everybody in the room is accusing you of making the wrong decision? Jesus comes along and says, leave her alone. And then he gives some teaching and he says what? Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. So she hadn't used all of it even. Jesus is using a greater teaching for those that were there that they needed to understand. And in the front side, they had their plans as to how to use this resource. And they felt hurt. You wasted it on Jesus, but they didn't truly understand what was going on, did they? One of the most powerful teaching moments of what Jesus' true ministry was and how that affected all of mankind. And the extension of taking that resource and anointing Jesus' feet was the purest sense of what? Worship. Of worship. Does that help reprioritize how we give? Does that help us understand what helpful giving is? When we set Jesus as the echelon or the approver or the controller of how we give, I think it changes what my checkbook looks like or my ATM responses. He says what? Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Well, that, that's controversial. Isn't it? That's controversial. Now let me walk you through that real briefly. Does Jesus have the ability to take care of the poor? If He can walk up to multiple lepers and heal each one of them, right? If He can see Andrew under a tree, but He's not there, Jesus has the ability to take care of the poor. Now what's fascinating is He does it through us. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. He does it through us. And, and that goes back to my opening salvo about the gal in our church and how he works through us to do helpful giving, even when it hurts. Let's go to the next one. By the way, there's your point of emphasis. For the poor you will always have, but you do not always have me. How do we do helpful giving? By prioritizing how we give. Some of you are giving way too much. What pastor would ever say that? Some of you are giving way too much, but you're not giving well in any area because you're overtaxed. And so it's not helpful. It's not helpful. We have to look at Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, and 
ask what is it he desires us to do and how can we be the most helpful with what he has given to us let's go to the next point this morning it's unconditional genesis 4 1 through 5 it's the story of cain and abel and many of you are familiar with it but let's look at it and so the idea i want you to hold to this morning is if we give with limitation what happens we receive with limitation if we give with limitation, we receive with limitation. And no, I'm not writing a self-help book. I'm not preaching prosperity gospel. Let me show you my point. Because I believe that this idea has been hijacked by prosperity gospel. So let's reset it, shall we? So unconditional giving. Remember, I told you that what we can see out of Scripture is give where it's helpful and how that adds to our worship to God. But when we, when we don't understand what unconditional giving is in light of that, we end up like Cain. And let's look at the story this morning. So you can turn to Genesis 4, 1-5. through I've got a little, little excerpt from there. It says, And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. This would be giving till it hurts. What Abel is doing is he is giving the best of what he has, and he's not holding on to the best of what he has. Are you willing to give the best of what you have? In order that Christ might be honored, and in order for you to engage in a deeper sense of worship with your Lord and Savior. Abel was, but let's see what happened for Cain. But Cain, verse 5, and his offering he had no regard so Cain was very angry, and his face fell. So there are realities. When we say give till it hurts, we didn't want to go this direction with the hurt. You see, the reality is, think about your giving as a child of God, and imagine the Lord coming alongside you. Now in one moment, the disciples, all the disciples are railing on Mary because they think she gave the wrong way. And he chastises them and corrects them and says, no, actually, she's the one that's got it right. Because she gave like who? Abel. Both of them gave without condition. But Cain gave with condition. Cain gave what he felt was appropriate. Cain didn't give out of a sense of worship. He probably more so, now I say probably because I don't know really, Cain, I wasn't there, you weren't there, none of us were there. But we can look at the story, and we know the character of God, and if it says that God had no regard for Cain's offering, it's because of how it was given. Abel gave to the point of it hurting. Cain protected himself and did a nominal gift. So when I ask the question, is your giving helpful? Understand that the Lord can say, you might have given X amount. By the way, we'll see this with the Pharisees in just a moment. You might have given X amount, but I could care less. You know, God gets straight to the point. Why? Because He wants to chastise me? No. He gets straight to the point because He doesn't want me to waste my time. He doesn't want me to believe in a lie that I think I'm actually engaged in worship when I'm not. The beautiful thing is, even though he had no regard for Cain's offering, he had regard for Cain. 
And he came alongside Cain and says, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? Here's what is filled in our churches, is disappointed believers. Because they only give a marginal amount of worship to the Lord. They are not all in. They are not fully engaged in loving their Lord. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. There are things at stake when it comes to this idea of how do we worship Christ? How do we worship God? Do you want those that you have relationship with to give you conditional love? Raise your hand. That was an easy one. It's called softball. I just laid it right in there. No, we don't. We want that love which is pure. We want that love which is authentic. We want the love that comes from a sense of sacrifice because it really means something, doesn't it? Now you get a picture of your Lord and Savior and what He yearns for. James grabs it very clearly when he says in James 4, he says he is a jealous God. He yearns for His people because they're adulterous. Because they, they yearn for other things rather than a sense of appropriate, appropriate worship for their Lord and Savior. And so they give themselves over to other things that aren't helpful, that are conditional. Unconditional is the second point this morning. And again, I highlight this idea that and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain his offering he had no regard. Is giving connected to worship? Yes or no? Absolutely. Am I just speaking about financial giving? No. Am I speaking about financial giving? Thank you. I just wanted to cover that. I wanted to make sure we're on the same page there. Um, so reasonable. So we went extreme here and we said unconditional. And you're like, wow, that's a really big thing to bite off. And then we came back, right? The pendulum swing. But let's be reasonable about it, shall we? Now some people are breathing and, and re-engaged with what the pastor's saying. Well, let's look at it. Matthew 25, 15 speaks about the idea of the talents. And so some have one talent, some have five talents, some have ten talents. The Lord gives, and He what? And He also takes away, but He expects an account for what He gives. Because He's entered into a partnership with us, and He gave us something so that it might multiply that when He comes to take account for what He has handed to us, how have you taken care of that thing? How have you taken care of it? How have you worshipped Me? Kept Me in your mind in the forefront of saying, this is His. He's asked Me to care for it. How can I increase it? So it doesn't matter really how much one person has versus how much another person has, we see that it's what you do with it and the reasonableness of that. As a matter of fact, when the individual who did nothing with what God had given them, what was the response of he who gave out the talents? Yeah, and, and his response back was, well, I knew you were a, a selfish and wicked master. Really? 
You knew that. Well, maybe that's where we should have started since you had the wrong understanding of who I am. But I do expect what I expect. And it's reasonable. How do we know it's reasonable? Because three out of the four, if I remember the parable correctly, three out of the four did just fine. No matter how many talents they were given. But it was the person who was not in a worshipful focus towards their master that found that they had not been reasonable with what they had been given. He said, look, if you had just taken it and put it in a bank, if you had just done the simplest thing with it, you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I'm reasonable. You don't have to, you don't have to do all these prolific, magical things. Just do small steps, reasonable steps, and I'll be just as pleased with you as I was with the other three. Reasonableness. But I want to focus on 2 Corinthians 8, 8 through 15 this morning. Turn there, if you will, contrasting abundance versus poverty. So the reasonableness, and we have it in the narrative all around us in the political world, is hey, look, there are those who have this great abundance. And we have nothing. And so those who have great abundance, it's called Robin Hood economics, right? So those who have the abundance should be taking care of those who don't have the, you know, and so I'm not going to get into the political part of it. But it's interesting how the church in Corinth was taking a offering to provide for the church in Jerusalem because there was a famine in Jerusalem and they were struggling, so they said, we are going to help our brothers and sisters. And so Paul gives some key things when it's talking about what's reasonable and what's not reasonable, and abundance versus poverty. Let's look at it, 2 Corinthians 8, 12-14. So Paul says this to them, for if the readiness is there, in other words, if the, the gift you have prepared is ready, if it's good to go, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Let's be reasonable with what we're asking of our people. Right? So if you are serving in nursery ministry for 10 years, that is unreasonable. Trust me, you already have like an upgrade, five upgrades in heaven for just that, okay? One year of nursery, five upgrades in heaven. You're getting the whole spa treatment. Now you may, I know what's going through your mind, you're saying, but I love nursery ministry. If you're saying that, please come talk to me afterwards. I really want to know you and I want to meet you and I'll introduce you to Melody, our children's ministries person. Now, there are people who love that. But you hear this, through the sarcasm, you hear what I'm really getting at. Is that there are times where we just keep expecting more and more and more from individuals and they feel guilty about letting us know this is what? This is unreasonable. I'm sacrificing all, it hurts, it hurts, because I'm not getting things done at home. We have good friends in the audience today from Southern Cal. And if, if, if there is the model of individuals that were always there, always there, it's rich in Deb. And so... Part of what we learned in serving alongside them is how to draw some lines so that you're taking care of your personal stuff as well, because there's always a need. 
right? There's always a need, but we need to be reasonable. Jesus is reasonable when it comes to giving. Amen? And so he says what? He continues on, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. At different times, God will provide abundance to different people in different ways. And as that happens, there's a beauty of, you're going to hear a great salvo coming up uh, in a ministry moment about our deacons fund. And I've had a conversation with an individual here that when they first moved here, it was hard. It was really hard. And the deacons fund helped them get, I think it was a refrigerator or something, or helped pay their first month for rent, or I don't know what it was. But that person, out of their abundance now, continually gives to the deacons fund to help others. That is the quintessence of what this is talking about in the reasonableness let's move on tithe wow how can you talk about giving without talking about the tithe wow this is going to get rough some of you are actually perspiring at this point but i'm not because i got new socks <laughs> luke 11 41 through 42 it's one of the few passages where we see the actual word for tithe but it's not going to play out like you think it is Giving by the numbers can be external and shallow. But Jesus says, give from what? Give from within. So let's look at it. Jesus is engaged in one of his great discourses with the Pharisees again. And in verse 41, you see the principle that he's trying to help them grasp and understand. And then he comes back with the chastising comment. He says, but give as alms, which is charity for those in need, but give as alms those things that are, what? Within. And behold, everything is clean for you. Now the reason he says that is because the Pharisees were so involved with practices of cleanliness and looking the part and, and showing everybody how they gave a 10% of their dill and a and a 10%, that was like my own son, I was thinking, giving 10% of Dill, Dylan, um, giving 10% of all these different things, but letting everybody know about it. But the inside never came from a place of love, never came from a place of charity, never came from a place of comfort. It always came out of a place of obligation. And Jesus says what about the tithe? He says, you are dirty because you do not give from inside, from a clean heart. If you did, if you gave what? Give alms those things that are within. If you gave from the heart, behold, everything would be clean for you. What a beautiful picture of worshiping Christ. And we don't have to have these, these discussions. We don't have to feel like Cain felt. Our countenance doesn't have to fall. Now just remember, we, we were talking about reasonableness because as I get into some of this, some of you are going to be sitting there you're going to start feeling guilty like, Pastor, you don't know my finances. You don't know this. You're right, I don't. Except Chuck's. I know all of Chuck's finances. And if you want to know them later on, just you can write me. It's No. I don't know any of your finances. What I do know is if we don't fight to be able to give from within, we will walk around with a sense of guilt that Satan uses. 
And we will have the same response that Cain had. Our heads will hang. And we won't be of the same mind. We won't be of one mind. We won't be all in. We will feel like we're on the outside. And when we reflect on giving and giving till it hurts, there's nothing there. We're saying, how did I get to this point? I just encourage you, when it gets to this, remember Jesus talked about the widow to these same Pharisees. She didn't have a whole lot. But he certainly held them accountable for their hearts when they were trying to brag about how much they gave. Huge contrast between what he says to the Corinthian church when he says, when you have abundance in the church of Jerusalem is, is going through famine. You're giving there. And you know what? When, when the church of Jerusalem recovers, you can count on them to take care of you. Boy, that just fosters this sense of love that creates the what? The same mind. The all in. What the Pharisees are doing with the tithe and playing, giving by the numbers, creates division. It creates division. So understand, my encouragement to you is be careful I'm not saying that tithing is wrong, giving 10%. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm saying that if you just simply give out of a religious obligation a certain number, you're missing something within. You can get very close to a focus of the Pharisees. You could give half a percent and it'd be a sense of where you are giving, you're sacrificing something later in the week. And there's a huge smile on Jesus. And there's a huge warm smile in your heart. Amen? Amen. We finish today with this. Sacrifice. We got to the complete hurts. And it finishes with sacrifice. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-9. The point is, when you give till it hurts, it requires a deeper commitment, which fosters what? Worship. The point is, when you give till it hurts, it requires a deeper commitment which fosters worship. Let's look at what Paul gives as an instruction to this same group out of Corinth that's preparing um, a relief fund, as of sorts, to the church in Jerusalem. And he says this as a, as a completion, the last thought, the thing that I really want you to emphasize to the entire church. Read this out loud. He says what? The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves, loves, loves the cheerful giver. Can I give till it hurts and still be cheerful? The evidences of my life when I have let go of all the agendas I have and I've tried to be helpful with my giving, when I've tried to be unconditional when, with my giving, when I've learned the reasonableness of how to give and when to sit and rest, when I've looked at the, the understanding of the obligation of tithe and, and then trumping that with the idea of sacrificial giving, there's great joy in my life. But you expect me to say that because I'm the pastor. So in closing, let me share with you the conclusion of the story earlier this week. 
one of our church family members went to the store, just going to make a quick run, and there was a young gal, maybe college age, and instantly our friend knew this person was going to be asking for money. And so it was kind of like, I got to be about my stuff. I got to be about my stuff. And the short of the story is the Lord didn't let her keep going in that fashion. The Lord spoke to her and said, look to the interest of others. And who is your priority? Your responsibilities, your tasks, or what I'm asking you to do in this moment. And this individual's testimony this week as they got more and more excited and more and more emotional telling it was that she found herself in the middle of a grocery store offering money to help this girl fill out an application, get a deposit for an apartment across the street. And she even, when she was done with that, she was prompted to ask, can I pray over you? And there in the middle of the grocery store, she's praying over a gal. And as she's telling the story, there's such a moving in her tone when she says, Pastor, I've never done something like that. And so she had some cash, and so she gave to this individual as she felt led, and she had other ideas for that cash. And then as she left and she was trying to help this person connect with another person inside the store, she still had another 20 in her pocket and the Lord led her to give that all of that to this individual. And I will tell you, there wasn't a scintilla of remorse as this person told the story to me. And they felt more connected to God, not a sense of, I did something good for someone, it was they encountered the Lord and they worshiped God through giving. And God will supply their needs. Amen? In closing this morning, I want you to think about this idea. Take account. Take account of the goodness afforded to you by others through the Lord Jesus Christ. As this individual, as this gal who was blessed by someone in our church, and I think a couple other people in that moment, she will without a doubt be able to say, because our gal said, hey, I'm from Concord Bible Church and you're welcome there anytime. Without a doubt, this person can say that the church stepped up in a way to help me when they didn't have to. And they did it because they had love. They did it because they're an authentic believer in Jesus Christ. There's one person out there today because of one of our people that the light of Christ is burning brighter in their life. We don't know if they're a believer, but we know that they have no excuse because they've experienced and tasted the goodness of God. So, that person this Thanksgiving is reflecting back on how God gave through His people. My challenge for you, and return next week to hear the second part, is as you think about Thanksgiving, how are you reflecting about how others have given to you because of God? And then, oh my goodness. Boy, you know, it's all about timing. When you set up the thing and then it just goes like, now ponder who would be doing the same on your account. Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you this morning for the blessedness of 
all that you give and all that you provide. As we reflect on this idea of giving until it hurts, we start at the cross. We start with your son as the example. And then we think about the joy of what it means to give out of our abundance, but also to give when you provide and to see how you will provide for us through others. Thank you, Father, that this church is a place that practices that worship of who you are. And that we understand that it is your desire for us to give. Give of our time, give of our resources, give our love to share with those in need. And Father, as we think about that principle and think about how to apply it, let us be moved first and foremost because of the demonstration of Your Son giving to us. But then let us think and contemplate how You have worked through others to bless us that we might reflect with thankfulness in giving. To You be all glory, Father. Amen.